This is crazy. This is our first bonus episode of Good For You. Yeah, this is like we're calling an emergency episode. With the two smartest people I know. <laughs> to wow. make nice. Well, I'm an expert on Iran, but that's it. But not really. I mean, I'm an expert. Among com- comedians, I would be the expert on it. You know what I'm saying? You're the most educated of the comedians on About the Iran. About Iran. <laughs> it's, it's a good niche to have. I got one. Yeah, exactly. So well, nowadays, yeah. I am lucky enough to be friends with Jessica Yellen, Hi. who is the only person I trust in news. Oh, that's so nice. I tr- and awful. I tr- <laughs> Yeah, dark. Um, I discovered you around the last election. A lot of people, I think, were so sick of being yelled at and having their news be subjective and opinionated and everything kind of being spin that everyone's like, you just got to follow Jessica Yellen. And you were doing these Instagram stories where you delivered the news in a very clear, non-emotional, who knew the woman was going to be the least emotional (laughs) of all the people in news, clearly in a way where I was like, okay, I can talk about this at a dinner party. She just said it in a way. And so I just plagiarized you for Amazing. Like two years, and now everyone thinks I know what I'm talking about. Good. <laughs> That's the goal. Make everybody smart so you can talk about the information and make decisions. So Jessica, as most people know, um, she was a White House correspondent for CNN. For how long? Uh, well... I covered the White House for about four and a half years. Mm -hmm. I covered Obama. I was the chief White House correspondent under Obama, and I covered the Bush White House before that. Right. I covered uh, all of D.C. for 10 years, Capitol Hill, domestic politics, you name it, everything awful happening. I was there. (laughs) And now she's here with us. Yes. And she has a book out. It's called Savage News. Get it. Follow her on Instagram. It's just at Jessica Yellen. Yes. Um, and uh, the hashtag is News Not Noise, which I love Good so girl. much. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm obsessed with you. That's awesome. I mean, my whole theory is that we're so drowning in noise. Mm-hmm. We don't know what really matters and how to take it in. That's and right. so if you can just pinpoint the clearest information that will make your life better. Mm-hmm. That'll make a difference. I, I just shut down when I watch the news. Now, I feel like you have to watch five different networks. You have to read five different articles. And the truth is somewhere in between. Right. You know, I feel like I'm getting a lot of opinions and I, and I don't. I just want the facts. There's so much outrage also. It gets exhausting. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's so much clickbait. I mean, I understand that now, you know, news networks are businesses at this point yeah. and they want you to click on their thing. They want you to keep watching. And I, it's so crazy to me that, that, you know, CNN, all these networks that are supposed to be neutral, they have these opening graphics with an American flag waving and like an eagle flies in. It's like, dun, 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 here's <laughs> well, the news. Well, on CNN, it's always breaking news. And I'm like, right. poor Wolf Brister's, he's been sitting there with breaking news for the past 20 years. It's like, anything <laughs> not breaking? Breaking? Never. <laughs> but it looks like a Michael Bay movie. It looks like an action movie. You or know? WWF. Like, in this corner. Totally. Yeah. Bernie Sanders. Yeah, this summer, the news right. is breaking. <laughs> well, there's no longer, you know, I think I heard, um, I don't know who was one of these politicians. Maybe it was Obama, maybe it was uh, Biden. Somebody was saying how there was a time when we agreed on the facts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we no longer do. Right. And as you said, left, right, what side you're listening to, you're going to get a totally different spin on it. Mm-hmm. And I said about Jessica once, I was, uh, you know, because I always talk about you uh, to people and tell them to follow you. And I <laughs> found myself one night saying to someone no but like her facts are true <laughs> <That's Yeah. awful. laughs> like she's got true facts like if you want to get the true facts go to her <laughs> i think the difference is do you give people context mm-hmm. because sometimes you just get these facts air bombed on you yeah. and you don't know what to do with it like tons of people are protesting in hong kong okay if i live in the middle of america why does that matter to me really right and to give people larger context makes such a difference and that's what we miss a lot of time and i think so many news organizations have 
baggage with Donald Trump that even when they're delivering news, <laughs> that's <laughs> about, they're sort of rolling their eyes at him and they're sort of throwing jabs at him, which it just all feels very uh, performative, loaded and emotional and biased. It's point. also, as you guys know, being in this is that whether you're a comedian or whether you're in the news, when you're, when you're delivering it or you're in a panel, it's quick talking, jumping in, got to be quick. Yes. It's hard to get a deep dive. That's why a show like, let's say, John Oliver's show is great to watch because yes. he really does a deep dive or sometimes I watch Rachel Maddow and I feel like I'm watching a, a lesson, a political science mm-hmm. class because mm-hmm. I'm going, oh, she's diving deep. Yep. And you get what you just said, which is context, which is something that for me, it bothers me when I hear, for example, the, being an Iranian American, the whole Iran thing and, and um, you know, Trump saying we took Soleimani out. He was a terrorist, that, that, this, that, the other. And then I'm listening to Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And Stern has on, first he has on one guy who had served in the military who's got the context, and he starts mm-hmm. breaking down the context. Then they bring on Sal, who supposedly doesn't know much at all. Right. And he's just going, yeah, we, we got a terrorist, and you know, and I'm thinking maybe they'll just get another, another guy will come in who's going to be more reasonable. Mm-hmm. And Stern was like, what are you talking about? This was a general in a military. He wasn't a, ter- a, a member of a terrorist organization. Yes, America had called it a, a, a terrorist organization, but still, it's an actual military. So what you were just saying, having some context as to who and what, we don't have a lot of that. Well, days. this is how little I know about the situation, is I need context for the context you just gave me. Like, I need even I need to get even more granular, which is why I wanted to do this podcast uh, with the two smartest people I know about this situation, because... Um, I'm having a really hard time understanding the situation, and I want to just get super granular uh, about it. And I want to just create a safe space for myself (laughs) to to ask very stupid questions. I'm going to ask very stupid questions because I think a lot of people are afraid to be embarrassed. A lot of people are afraid to not know, you know, and I think there's a lot of times where I'm like watching the news and I'm like, okay, well, I I need a basic understanding of that. I don't even know what that is. Like, I can't even understand what's going on. I think a lot of people are very busy. People have jobs. They don't have time to constantly be educating themselves about this. So I just want to, like, get right into it. First question. How do you pronounce... Iran. <laughs> is I'll it let Iran? You take is it Iran? You got it. It's Iran. I always say, like, imagine you. It, it's it, the, you know just the letter E, and then a guy named Ron. Oh. Iran. Good. That's you, it. Got it. And and to me, as an Iranian American, I was born in Iran. I grew up in America. Iran is like fingernails on a chalkboard. Like, don't do Iran. Whenever people say, especially when when leaders, you know, senators, presidents, anybody goes Iran, <laughs> or, or even when uh, uh, Bush was when we were going to war with Iraq, and he would say Iraq. Yeah, Ugh. it's Iraq. It's Iran. Uh-huh. E. It's like someone then- saying cement. Cement. It's annoying. <laughs> a, cr- a crown yeah, instead of I, crayon. I say, like, you know, it's America. I don't go, like, America. You know, it's just, to me, it just sounds like, I, you know, again, I grew up in America and, and I'm pretty good with, like, when I learn a foreign language, I'm pretty good with getting close to that accent. Yeah. But some of my American friends have horrible accents. So, you, <laughs> you know. You can't tell. Oh, yeah. So the Spanish is like, hola, come on, stop. You know that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, just stop. So this is the same thing. Like, Iran is just like, Iran. I'm like, hey. May I ask one? How do you say Soleimani? Soleimani, so you you got a, you got you were very Good close. Enough. It's just Soleimani, Soleimani. But I can't Sole- say that. I'll embarrass myself. No, you can say Soleimani. You can okay. Soleimani. Soleimani. Because what's again? What's funny to me is, and again, as a comedian, I'm I'm looking for some comedy in this tragedy that's happened mm-hmm. uh, with war and then the airplane being shot down and stuff. But I go, what's some comedy I can think of? And so last night I remembered, I was watching 
uh, I think it was John Kerry was on um, uh, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, and a couple of times as they were talking about Soleimani, they called him Salami. <laughs> no, and I was like, and, and I was saying, I was saying, That's as a, a Middle Easterner, it's nice. What I go, it's entertaining to us <laughs> watching you guys struggle with our names. <laughs> Painful. Well, I think that there is a big misunderstanding and or just lack of information, ignorance uh, 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 of a lot of people. Some of them in this room mm-hmm. that host this podcast around that region in general. I was talking to someone the other night who's like well we've been at war with them since the 90s like desert storm and i was like no that's a different country yeah (laughs) you know can you just give us like a little bit of context of our history with this region in general okay well i'll say that the cia the first time the cia took out created a coup in another country was 1953 Mm -hmm. in iran Mm -hmm. so our back and forth with them goes back a long long time they had a shah in power who's like a monarch and there was someone else coming up who was trying to take money and oil away from the West. Mm-hmm. And the CIA said, uh-uh, we're not having that. And we intervened and kept down. And his name was Mossadegh. I'll <laughs> Which give you the I name. avoided saying. So Mossadegh, <laughs> this guy was, so Iran was, like you said, it was a, a, a monarchy, but it also had a parliament. So Mossadegh was the leader of the parliament. Mm-hmm. So imagine like in, in England right now, you've got your prime minister, and then you've got the queen. Mm-hmm. So the uh-huh. Shah was the king. Mm-hmm. And um and and at the time there was actually it goes even further. See back. a lot of people I know watch Shaws of Sunset. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and now yes. That, the idea of that being a royal term has gotten confused. Yeah, so Shah is another word for basically the king, and so the Shah the 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 Shah that was in power in the early fifties, his father had become the Shah before that, and mm-hmm. his father uh, coming out of World War One, I, I believe, the Western powers came together and said, okay, this guy will play ball with us mm-hmm. he will let us have a lot of the oil this was the british at the time mm-hmm. will let us have the oil so, so there the, was a lot of oil in iran because i think people would, think of saudi arabia mostly when oh. you got oil yeah shit shit's coming yeah <laughs> when you got oil it's i i used to say this it's like being a drug dealer you got to know when to flush it down the toilet because <laughs> it's gonna They're be bad coming yeah. yeah and so it's not just it's, it's saudi arabia it's iran it's all these countries but the question becomes will they play ball with you yeah so the so the the shah's father uh, who was the king at the time coming out of World War One? played some ball with them and also was also westernizing Iran somewhat. Uh-huh. Then what happened was in World War II, I don't know if you, about, you know about this, but Iranians, the word Iran comes from Aryan. So we come from the Caucasus Mountains. We are the original white people. We huh. we are originally we're this white. Should be the ad for twenty three and me. Yeah. So Iranians, a lot of Iranians now in America too. When people go like, well, you know, you're Arab. They go, I'm not Arab. We're Iranian, which right. is different ethnically. Well, I think the word Arab, I think, is times up on Arab, right? Well, no, there's Arabs. Arabs are Arabs, right? I mean, and then and then ethnically, Iranians are very um, sensitive. It's like telling a Cuban you're Mexican. They're Here's like, what? Whole- Gulf Arabs versus non-Gulf Arabs right. versus the Persian culture. But just, yeah. I feel like my uncle, like older uncles and grandfather, they say Arab and you get like, ooh, ooh. No, well, there are Arabs. Yeah. I mean, there are Arab countries. But when they Arab talk about countries. Iran. But Iran's, Iranians aren't Arab. Yeah. Iranians come from, like I said, the, the Caucasus Mountains and uh, we're, the, we're Caucasian. And, mm. and so uh, I heard Aryan, someone say the Persians the other day. Persians. The um, empire was called Persia. Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, what happens was in World War II, the Shah's father, who had been 
cooperating with the West, with America and the Brits and the oil and all that stuff, he starts going, well, we are Iranian, we're Aryan, so I kind of get what Hitler's talking about. So the Shah's father starts kind of sympathizing with Hitler, and then the West is like, whoa, what, what's up with that? So then they go, okay, you got to get, we're going to get rid of you, you're mm-hmm. going to go in exile, yeah. we're going to put your son in power. And that was the Shah that you were talking about, who at the age of 21, Swiss educated, all this stuff, he becomes this king of this country and people Iranians themselves are like this guy's a boy like who is this guy so at that point that's when this guy Mossadegh who was the like an older politician who had who was experienced he had enough uh, uh, strength to stand up to the Shah and go no 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 to the 21 year old to the 21 year old and go no we're gonna run the country I was elected democratically and not only that, but we're going to nationalize our oil. We're going to kick the Brits out of here, uh-huh. and we're going to take our oil back. And that's when the Brits go to the Americans, the coup that you were talking about, 1953. They go to the Americans, and they go, hey, um, Iran is trying to kick us out. And by the way, Iran is located uh, strategically to the north of them is the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. We're at the Cold War at that time. Yeah. So the Brits tell the Americans, they go, you know, if Iran kicks us out, then the Soviets will take over and Iran will go communist. So, hey, America, you need to get involved and help us overthrow Mm. Mossadegh. It all goes back to Russia and oil every time. Every time. Every time. Why? I I mean, I went to college. Like, why didn't someone just explain it to me that clearly? I guess the, I guess that's why you're a comedian. And because we do. Because American, uh, uh, you know, we are so isolated. I feel mm-hmm. at least. I you know, I I just the other day I, I was asked. My kids go to a private school. They asked me to come and speak about Islamophobia, mm. and I was there talking about my experiences as an Iranian American growing up in America. And the kids were so advanced, and they were asking questions. Yeah. But I told them, I said, you know, when I was your age, nobody was coming and talking to us about any other point of view yeah. of history except yeah. for what was in the books. Yeah. So I didn't really learn much about I didn't know about the coup d'etat until I was in college. Yeah. And I studied it and I go, oh, wow, America overthrew a democratic, democratically elected leader in Iran. Oh, no wonder why Iranians feel that America's behind everything. So there's a history of American interference. Mm-hmm. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yes. And I'm so glad you're here because I, I do have some questions in general about the culture of the Iranian people. From what I ascertain, they don't love interference. Is that <laughs> is that a, I mean, it's you know, our country has pride. I think I, I'm patriotic, I would say. But I think, you know, because we have free speech, because we have a free press, we are allowed to criticize. We're also a younger country from the people I know. There's pride and, you know, which is we'll get to the cultural monuments thing in a second. There is pride around the country and American interference probably isn't ideal. Is that fair to say? I mean, a thousand percent. I think that's partly cultural and also our history of intervention has been so toxic. There is there. I mean, we could talk in detail, but flash forward, we supported Iraq in a big war against Iran. Mm -hmm. Iran and Iraq were locked in this battle. The death toll from that was astronomical. There were chemical weapons used and we backed Iraq against Iran. Um, We had this Mm -hmm. history of taking sides again with the Shah, the monarch. 
um, and having a relationship with them where we're taking their oil and personally profiting and at the expense of the people, right? So there's not just a resentment that's cultural, but just a structural economic problem that the West is benefiting and it's not benefiting the people of Iran. And and the people of Iran are very proud, like you just said. We're very proud of I don't of mean our... that in a pejorative way. I think there's just it's there's so much history there. No, no, and... we're proud of our history. The what you said, the Persian Empire mm-hmm. was an empire. Yeah. I mean, that, like Iranians talk about that. We had kings who uh, Cyrus the Great. Uh, his uh, supposedly he was one of the first leaders who was uh, benevolent in that when he would take over another. Uh, country, he would allow them to practice their religion. I don't know how much truth there is to this, how much what, they, but but basically that's what we say. And so there's a there's a cylinder. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder, which as you're driving on Santa Monica in Century City, you see this big lights and this is this weird thing. Like on your left hand side, right as you're approaching Beverly Hills on Little Santa Monica. Is it Little Santa Monica? Regular Santa Monica. Beverly Hills. On Beverly Hills. On the left-hand side. Near the mall? Near the mall, there's this weird thing that looks like, just like, it's just lit. It's just lights. What is that? That's the Cyrus Cylinder. Are you okay? They moved it to Beverly Hills? dying. (laughs) It's moved to Beverly Hills because now we're in Beverly Hills. That's very telling. But no, so so Cyrus, and then supposedly his, the the charter for the United Nations is something that came from Cyrus the Great, Mm -hmm. the whole thing of human rights. Mm -hmm. And so Iranians are very proud of our history. And the fact is that Iran, before the revolution of 1979, which was the Islamic revolution, Iran originally wasn't even Muslim. Iran's original Mm. religion was Zoroastrianism, which is what... What is that? Freddie Mercury. If you remember Freddie Mercury in the movie, in the movie, um, um, the Freddie Mercury movie, what it was called, um, he he says, uh, I think his father at one point says, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And that's what they believe, Zoroastrians. Zoroastrianism was one of the first monotheistic religions in the world. So all these other monotheistic religions... It might be this. Yeah. Uh, I know that there was all kinds of rituals yeah. and stuff, but basically, you know, if you look at Christianity, if you look at uh, Islam, all this other stuff, where Scientology, Scientology <laughs> it all comes. I mean, it, it can all be traced back to Zoroastrianism. So Iranians have this are very proud of that culture, and then they actually one of the reasons Iranians have a problem with like the, sometimes Iranians can be racist against Arabs in that. I think that they feel like the Arabs brought Islam to us, mm-hmm. and now we are suffering under the Islamic Republic. There's also another layer we should bring up, which is there's this division within Islam between the Shiite and the Sunni Muslims, and it's different branches of Islam. Is there a, 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 a an equal comparison to that? Protestant Catholic. Great. Thank you. Yeah, so at one point what happened was go- going down Islam, as you go down the genealogy of it, the Sunnis say, oh, it should be the father-in-law of Muhammad, whose name I believe was Abu Bakr. And then the Iranians say, no, it should be one of the sons, or I forget what the actual genealogy is, but it's like a, a, a guy named Ali. And so they start to split. Mm-hmm. And the difference in practicality is that in the Sunni religion, it's not as hierarchical. It is, I mean, there are obviously people that are more educated in it and, and you know you go to but in the Shiite religion for sure there's a hierarchy so the Shiite religion is a little closer to what Catholicism might be which is like we have you know Catholicism has the Pope right so the Pope knows more and he's closer to God right so in Iran they've got the supreme leader and will slap a bitch on a red carpet by the way slap a bitch <laughs> So Iran has what what they had Khomeini, yeah, and now they have Khamenei, 
the names are very similar, yeah. but the different people, who is, quote unquote, the supreme leader. And But how can I repeat that at a party? So the politics of it are basically the Sunni countries band together mm-hmm. in the Middle East and the Shiite against the Shiite forces. And Iran is the most powerful Shiite force in the Middle East. And then you look at Saudi Arabia and Iraq and UAE. They're Sunni. So they all gather together against Iran. Well, no, wait, hold on. Oh. Uh, you put Iraq in there. Iraq is actually majority Iraq. Shiite. But ruled by but was Sunni. What power, was but- that was being run by Saddam Hussein, which going back, as you know, when, when we were going to war with Iraq... Uh, under Bush in uh, 2003, early, yeah. number two, uh, I, 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 I'm shocked that they did not have somebody advising them. I'm sure they did. Oh, they knew. That said, they said, wait a minute, you know, if you go and get rid of Saddam, that the Iranians will easily be able to come into Iraq and stir up unrest and stir up unrest, but also I because uh, there was a, a minority of Sunnis. So, so Saddam was a Sunni, minority Sunni, like what, like 20%, 30%? And then, and the majority of the country was Shiite. And the U.S. has allied itself with the Sunni powers in the Middle East. Yes, led by most dominant in among them is Saudi Arabia. But our politics are: we side with the Sunnis. They always work with us on the oil investment, etc. And as a counterpoint point to Iran. And let me just ask a question. This is going to sound stupid. Everything I'm going to say is going to sound really stupid. Um, we were not at war with Iran before this happened. We were at war. With ISIS, or we were at war well, with the ta- what, We're at war with everybody. All the time. <laughs> this, this fundamental tension I've been talking about, Shia versus Sunni, goes back for decades. I see. And we have been in an on again, off again, cold ish war with Iran since the 70s. And that manifests since, as having troops there and occupying it. Or. Uh, or siding with their with their enemies, backing Got their it. enemies in Got their it. enemies' fight against them. So what we haven't talked about is the revolution when the Islam, there is a, a religious power came to run Iran. Is the simplest way I think to say it. The Ayatollah, go ahead. Khomeini. <laughs> and what <laughs> would the equivalent be in America? Would it be like if it would be like if the religious right took I mean, over? If like yeah, the Graham family. Said I mean we're m- more more than they have the so Koch far. The Koch brothers. <laughs> Like if, but, if Mike Pence actually were president, or it, or if Trump were actually <laughs> actually cared about, Iran was also a very westernized intellectual yes. society with adva- you know. Tra- I mean, I don't want to say that this is what defines sophistication, but traveling to Paris, going to the West, mm-hmm. all their kids are educated in the U.S. universities, and then you get the Ayatollah comes in and says we're living by religious law, and then overnight women are in hijab, and all over. It just shifts. I don't want to make a demeaning, but it's is it's not Gilead, obviously, but it's like in terms of there, it regressed in a way. Would you say it went back thousands of years? So basically, what happened was, as Jesse was saying, just to understand the the history of it. So once fifty three happens and they do the coup d'état, Shah comes into power. The Shah was actually modernizing Iran, bringing a lot. As you said, there's pictures of Iran in the 70s, 60s. Women are mini skirts. Super go-go. Go-go. Dudes are doing their things. Like as a kid in Iran, I remember like American culture. First of all, let me just say one thing. Iranians love American culture. Yeah. We love the movies. We love the sports, all that stuff. And Iranian people love Americans. Yeah. And there's obviously a, a faction of Iranians who probably support the regime, and they go, well, whatever they say, I got to do. So death to America. But they could care less, really. Like, they're just trying to live their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I remember as a kid, like like I I, I saw Rocky Rocky in Iran. I was a kid. Uh, I, Do they um, uh, manipulate the movies at all? I don't remember. I mean, I was a kid. I don't think there was that much uh, censorship going on. I think it was pretty it was pretty open. Yeah. But the problem was, so the Shaw has people that l- liked him and people that didn't like him because the one thing was end of the day, yes, he was modernizing it. There was definitely movements in the right direction, but at the same time. If you were an enemy of the Shah, or you criticized the Shah, you could disappear pretty fast. So what happens is all these different factions from the religious group to the, let's say, the liberals to the communists to the whoever would all of a sudden start saying, wait a minute, the Shah is uh, taking away our rights. People are disappearing. They had a secret police called the Savak, who if they showed up at your house, you were screwed. Um, and so... All of these guys come together, and this revolution that happens in 79, I've talked to people who were there, they said, for a couple of days, it was euphoria, because everyone thought, oh my God, the Shah has left, Iran is free finally, we don't have to uh, you know, rely on the West, and we've got, we're going to have our own dem- democracy. Just mm-hmm. like we saw in Egypt recently, when the revolution happened during the, uh, the Arab Spring, I think a lot of people felt euphoria for a little bit, but then quickly... The person that takes power, the people that take power, are the religious group under Khomeini, and and it becomes the Islamic Republic of Iran, and we go backwards. So laws start changing. All of that. Women have to start covering up all of a sudden. A great book for you and your listeners to read. There's a two part audio book for us to listen to. Listen to. to. No, actually, it's a, it's (laughs) a, no, it's actually a, um, it's a, a, not a comic book, but it's a, um, picture book. I'm in. It it is. It's (laughs) called, it's called Persopolis. Oh, yeah. Persopolis 1 and 2, this lady named Marjan Satrapi, yeah. who's a French-Iranian, she wrote it, and it, and it talks, tells her story of living under that regime. Because what happens is, when the revolution happens, and they go back a thousand years, and women now got to cover themselves up, and there's, uh, there's uh, um, you know, religious police that will, you know, you can't drink alcohol. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. Quickly, what happens is... Uh, Khomeini gets a little cocky and he's like oh this is going to be good we're going to spread our form of Islam around the world Saddam gets cocky because he goes oh these guys have gotten weak I'm going to go to that border region where we had the little oil dispute I'm going to get my oil and then Khomeini goes well then let's go to war and as Jessica was saying before they end up in like a seven or eight year war where over a million Iran and Iraq where over a million people die in Iran I'm not sure how many Iraqis died but America this was in the the early 80s and America was supplying Saddam with all kinds of weapons and then the Iran-Contra things happens and we realize that we're supplying Iran with weapons and then I I remember reading a quote I forget who said it but somebody there was an American ambassador uh, who said uh, something along the lines of Dennis Rodman Dennis Rodman Who said... Uh, we, sent, we only send our finest. No, the fact is we have no more ambassadors anymore. <laughs> That's right. Under Trump. Ambassador, what does that do? But them. basically they said, what, what do we care? We're supplying arms to both sides. Let them get each other. We don't care. Okay. And to give you just the bird's eye view of this, like to big perspective, as soon as that revolution happened, Iran said death to America and Israel must be eliminated. So they immediately become the pariah to the West and the West in alliance with Israel is poised against Iran. And so that fuels our alliances in the region and how we are engaged. Yes, we take both sides of fights. We're doing things behind the scenes. But big picture, that's when we decide Iran's our enemy. And we're in a constant 
Cold War-ish with them Mm -hmm. since then. And all kinds of things keep coming up. I mean, one of the things that Iran, I think, did, and now it's kind of come back to bite this this regime in their ass, is that the the current current Islamic Republic of Iran is that they were, like you said, Israel's the enemy, Israel's the enemy, therefore we're going to um, arm Hezbollah or Hamas or whoever's fighting against the Israel. Will you say what Hezbollah is for someone that doesn't know? Can we talk about that? For I mean, I think what real, really, what you need to understand to understand where how we got here is they actually grew these terrorist organizations. Like right within Iran, they decided we are not going to, as a country, fight this fight against America alone. We're going to create and fund and develop a network of powerful terrorist organizations. One of which is Hezbollah. Yeah, and that will go out and create skirmishes and commit violence Mm -hmm. to advance our interests without our having our fingerprints on it which is what they say now with the proxies they say they say proxy proxy wars right so what define that well similar to what uh what uh you know if if you when when you're fighting a war with a country that can fight you you Mm -hmm. you fight on the battlefield but when you're a country like iran where you go we can't take on the superpower america in a war well then let's get our little let's let's go into places like hezbollah is in lebanon hamas is in the is our palestinians they've got in now they're in Yemen, they're in Iraq. They have all these different groups that they're funding and arming. Yeah. And they're saying and and they're saying we're going to give you money, we're going to help you guys fight the 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 allies of our enemies in these other places or even go after American soldiers in some of these places. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of come back to bite this current Iranian regime in the ass because a lot of Iranians now in Iran are going you, you know, with all the current sanctions going on, your people are starving, but you're taking any money you have right, and right. you're arming these other groups. Put the, your money to us. Yeah. And so it's a strategy that was working for them. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Soleimani guy comes into play is that he was somebody who was kind of supervising a lot of these proxies or, and, and just going around and making sure that- Funding little terrorist groups. Ter- listen, I, and again, I will go back and say- you know, obviously they're carrying out terroristic acts, but just to understand it in an objective way, it's kind of like when the Viet Cong were jumping out of trees. Yeah, it's like Iran is saying they're going like, "This is the way. This is the only way we can fight you guys because you guys have your drones and you have your this and you have your that. And you're attacking countries mm-hmm. the way we do. Well, then we're going to create what we call a military arm, but you guys are going to call us terrorists." Mm-hmm. Okay, there's. One way to look at it is Iran, among the countries in the Middle East, Iran has one of the most sophisticated, organized official militaries. And I think, can we, can we, I want to, this is a country, 83 million people in this country. And also, I think that people kind of go, Iran, Iran, like, we're so big and we're so much. I mean, this is a formidable country with a formidable military. And I was reading about how they have incredible scientists working on nuclear arms and a lot of them were assassinated. I mean, this is an incredible, powerful Country. Organized, yeah, organized country yeah. with a, a real military that's formidable and that could inflict damage were we to go to war with them. Unlike other countries that are not quite as, you know, they buy weapons and they have this thing here and they could take one plane down. Iran could organize a response. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have these proxies that they support, these organizations like Hezbollah. And one of the ways in which our attack on Soleimani was shocking and different is unlike... 
uh, Osama bin Laden or Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who ran al-Qaeda and ISIS, respectively. They're what we call non-state actors. They ran terrorist organizations that didn't belong to one country. They were bands that would move around and work in many countries to, you know, inflict violence and, you know, create their advance their agenda. Soleimani was like the head of a proper military division. He is it would it's hard. My friends and I debate. it's like imagine if somebody suddenly executed General Petraeus out of nowhere at the height of his power. I mean, that's that is I really want to nail like what is the equivalent? Someone said it would be like taking out the head of the CIA, the, the head of the FBI and Mike Pence so, all in one. Soleimani, as I understand, was both the Petraeus at the height of his power of this mm-hmm. moment, but also hugely influential politically. So he wasn't just a general. He also was a public figure. Mm-hmm. Now, and so in that way, some people say it's like taking out Petraeus plus a VP. He was a con- he's a controversial guy. It's not yeah. like everyone loved him. Yeah, we'll get into what he did and, and what we think. he oversaw things that, you know, he helped grow Hezbollah, which enacted terrorist violence around the region. Um So that's why the U.S. designated him part of a terrorist organization. But we were designating Iran's official military a terrorist organization. It would be like North Korea saying the U.S. military is a terrorist organization because we're enemies. And uh, I hear that Bush and Obama both passed on the idea of taking him out. But not because they didn't think he's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't care if – I mean, yeah, you could defend him and blah, blah. From the U.S.'s perspective, in advancing Western interests, Soleimani was the enemy in Mm -hmm. a way, right? He was executing a will that is at odds with American interests. Mm -hmm. Um, They passed on taking him out because they thought that the danger of retribution was greater than the danger he posed alive. Yeah, this is like a multidimensional chess game. So Soleimani was a bad guy. A lot of Iranians in Iran didn't like Soleimani. Matter of fact, there was a picture that was circulating on social media where... Someone had written in Persian, uh, Damit Gam, which means may your breath remain warm, which means like right on. Yeah. And it said, Damit Gam, Trump, like right on Trump for killing Soleimani. So there's Iranians in Iran. There's obviously Iranians who support the government, the regime, and they they thought they saw Soleimani as a hero. But there's also a lot of Iranians in Iran who are fed up with this regime mm-hmm. and they were like, right on, thanks for taking this guy out. There was definitely a lot of Iranians outside of Iran, people that I know that were saying, this is great that we took him out. And I personally don't like Soleimani. I was like, it's, I didn't like the guy. If he had, a, if I didn't shed a tear for the guy. Yeah. However, what you were saying, the reason that I think that the, the Bush and Trump, uh, Bush and uh, Obama administration didn't take him out was because they were, they were worried about the repercussions because yeah. Soleimani has laid so many uh, different uh, tentacles around that region. And I was worried. I mean, I'll tell you, as an Iranian-American, I know a lot of people were very worried, like our stomachs were turning beyond the fact that America was going to go to war. The idea was I'm going to be an Iranian-American here and Iran is going to start hitting. I don't know what they're going to hit. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, first of all, there was a breath of fre- uh, uh, relief when when they hit those bases and they said, okay, nobody got, nobody was killed. Right. We thought, okay, moving this is on. Iran hit American bases. This was a couple days after. The, in Iraq, right. yeah. As their retribution for the attacks, is there official retribution. They bombed a bunch of Iraqi bases where U.S. troops were stationed. There was no loss of life on the bases, although they've told That must have been intentional, though, right? So they're both playing this game where they say it wasn't intentional, but they have such precision-guided missiles, for show, it was intentional. <laughs> and they're saying domestically, we killed 80 people. And internationally, we know they didn't. 
um, because, again, it's the official act of Iran. What we're all poised for and waiting for is the retribution that's going to come from Hezbollah, from these proxies. Iran has a history. They're a bit. You can think of it a bit like China, where they're strategic, patient, considered, and will strike at a time that is best for them and not in the heat of the moment. And then I now understand the history of American intervention with Iran. I now see this is very deep-seated, loaded. There's a lot of baggage here. Can we uh, rewind a little bit to about two months before this happened? I texted you at 2 a.m. Yeah. I texted Jessica at 2 a.m. because I have this, there's this, you know, texting thing now where you can text people and I give out my phone number and you can text me and it's, you know, mostly for touring and engaging with your fans and all that. And I'm looking at it and uh, between the dick pics I'm getting, (laughs) I I get a bunch of people saying I'm in Iran and the Wi-Fi is down and people are being shot in the streets and they sent me videos of people getting shot in the streets, protesters getting shot in the streets. And they said, will you please post this? And I texted you in a complete panic because I I was like, I'm not a journalist. I don't know what this is. And I posted two of them because I was just I my heart just broke. And then after the fact, I was like, what if these aren't real? What if I I'm not a journalist? I'm way in over my head. But just I ended up posting them anyway. And a lot of people ended up texting me. But can you talk about the Wi-Fi going down so we can just do this in a timeline of how? Yes. Can I tell you? About that protest and then the larger picture. So the protests were um, Iranians who are fed up with the god-awful economic conditions they're living under. Their economy is being suffocated. I will say Soleimani's Quds Force, the thing that he ran within the military, was in part responsible for the killing of their own people. Just to, just to really nail that, this is not a man that was a totally popular right. in Iran. Again, imagine if the religious right took over yeah. and they started implementing a lot of stuff. You know, I was talking to, there's an analyst, you know, you know Karim Sajidpour? You know who he is? Karim Sajidpour is an analyst. He's really he's really good. At, you had him with, on your podcast. He was on my podcast, was, yeah. yeah. So he, he made a good point. He said, you know, usually totalitarian states are totalitarian in one form or another. They're either socially totalitarian or economically totalitarian, or or, or they have, um, uh, um, you know, what whatever it is, or, or politically totalitarian. So he says, for example, in China, you know, politically totalitarian, but you can make money, or you know, some people can. Um, you can drink. There's a lot of social stuff that they let you do. He said, Iran right now, this you regime. You can marry a pillow. You can marry a pillow. Um, <laughs> Iran. Iran, the, 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 the leadership there, you know, when, when, when the revolution first happened, everybody thought, oh, wow. I mean, it was, it was sold to the people as, you know, the Shah and his cronies have been stealing the riches of this land forever. Mm-hmm. We're going to redistribute those riches. Right. And not only did that not happen, but yeah. it got darker and darker and darker. And so now the people there are living with there's no political freedoms. So you could be arrested for all kinds of stuff. You, you, know, if you, you could went, be arrested for protesting. Is that you'd be arrested for protesting. One of the things that pisses me off when I, when I do Trump jokes on, on stage and some Americans get upset, they go, you can't make fun of our president. Yeah. I go, that's the whole point of this Being country. Yeah. That's the whole, I go, you, that's why it's you, the First Amendment. Yeah, you can't do that in Iran. So in Iran, you would get in a lot of trouble if you did something like that. So there's political. There's I a lot remember of- when we went to the Middle East touring. I don't think you were with when I went to Dubai, and our friend uh, comedian Ahmed Ahmed got in trouble for making fun of a mosque. Yeah, some religious stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So so politically, the people are suffering. Um, economically now, because the sanctions are getting more and more, and that's one of the problems with the strategy that the Trump administration has taken, which is they say. We are going to basically sanction you until you call, say mercy. 
So economically, the people are suffering because the people, and then also uh, socially, they're suffering. That you can't go. There's no alcohol. There's no. Bar, you can't like go out and party and whatever. So the people is of like Iran. Is there a curfew or? There's yes, not a curfew. A cur- there are curfews. Well, right when there. there's when there's protests yeah. and stuff. But I'm saying in general, listen. In general, the people of Iran are very educated people. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of Iranians are. Education is very big in our culture. Yeah. So when you go, I had a friend who um, was uh, somehow involved with Stanford. He used to say, before this travel ban happened, that the the highest percentage of international students that would go to Stanford University to study electrical engineering, get their PhDs, were coming from Iran. Mm. So Iran has all this potential. They yeah. have a young, they have a young uh, um, population that wants to be modernized. Nowadays, my my hope in terms of any change in the future in Iran is based on just the internet. The fact that people in Iran can see everyone else around the world living their lives and taking dick pics. But yes, let's talk about the internet getting shut down. Yes. So there's a rewind on this. Do you remember? I mean, that's my worst fear in life. Is that I can't get online. I yeah. mean, this is literally Do you remember this is where her, I draw the line. During the Arab Spring, it was spreading across the region, all this, these protests for freedom, and there was a massive movement and a protest in Iran. And do you remember there was this woman... No, there was a protest. You're talking about the, the, the Green Movement in 2009, before the Arab Spring. You said the Arab Spring. Arab Spring was in 2011 with the Arab countries, but in 2009, in the Green Movement, was when the first massive protest happened. Is that when the woman got yes, eaten Ned, and Obama Ned, uh, did nothing? Oh, 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 oh. That might have been. I'm talking about. I'm talking about when Neda Sultani was killed in Iran. Not you're not talking about that one, are you? I think there was a moment. There was a moment when we were waiting for Barack Obama to intervene. That's what. Yeah, exactly. So that was. So that was. So in 2009, mm-hmm. what happened was the the elections with Ahmadinejad. So there's an election in Iran. And the then president, if you remember Ahmadinejad, he's the one who was saying the uh, Holocaust never happened. He was saying there's no gays in Iran. He's the Sounds guy who cool. was, he was kind of like our, our, it was the Iranian George Bush, now Donald Trump, saying stupid shit. Yeah. And so in 2009. He was your Ann Coulter. He, our Ann Coulter. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so when, when, when the, when the elections happened, he won overwhelmingly. And the people of Iran poured into the streets saying that there's been electro, el, el, electoral yeah, fraud. Yeah. And so when they're pouring in the street doing these peaceful protests, it was called the Green Movement, mm-hmm. and millions of Iranians are marching in the street. And as an Iranian American, I was excited because I was going, "Oh my God!" For the first time, like you were saying, Americans are going to see Iranians in the news, and they are uh, attractive young people protesting, and they're going to realize that Iran is not the same country as Iraq and Saudi Arabia, and there is a different country, and they want democracy. And then quickly, the government came in and started shooting into the protesters, and they killed Neda Sultani. Take it from there. And there was this pressure inside the U.S. for Barack Obama to do something, for the U.S. to take a stand. Um, because you know what's was, crazy? I don't remember any of this. I do because I was covering the White House then, and it was an obsessing moment because it was a moment Barack Obama had started his presidency going to Cairo and giving this speech saying That's freedom it. and we're going to be different and we're going to stand with the people, but we're not going to impose our will. We're going to be – and this was a moment for him to do something and intervene, and the administration really – Effectively didn't, did nothing, effectively. And there was this growing pressure ever after that to do something, to help take a stand, create, to diffuse this decades-old tension between the U.S. and Iran and push forward. And at the same time, what we haven't really gotten into is the fact that Iran was developing its own nuclear wet program. Right. 
And there was this pressure on the administration as well to intervene to stop their program, because if Iran gets a nuclear bomb, then this whole region is like, A, the U.S. can't have any control anymore. We can't get the oil. We can't keep the peace. And Israel was like beside itself to bomb Iran, basically, and stop them from getting this nuclear bomb because there was this threat that Iran would actually take out Israel is the dynamic at play. And the Obama administration was under enormous pressure to solve this. You mentioned that um, nuclear scientists were being killed. That's because Israel was doing these crazy like action movie interventions where like somebody would be a motorcycle would come along by your car, put a piece of gum on the car and it would like they zoom away and it explodes. Um, People were like drinking their Starbucks nuclear physicists and like dying. Right. So Israel was like popping up out of the potholes. uh, No, no, uh, (laughs) no, no whipped cream for me. Thank you. I'm okay. Last time I had that. You know, hold the caramel. Yeah. Hold the caramel. And, And then in this it's so hard to fathom. Maybe we've just seen so many action movies. It's so hard to believe when life imitates. Well, the, the Israelis, as you it. said, the Israelis are in the middle. They're right there. Yeah. And if if Iran has said that our goal is to destroy you, uh, I think that I- Iran and Israel have had this conflict forever. So they're doing things like this back and forth a lot. And I remember, by the way, I remember this green movement moment because we were at the. And why was it just called the green la- movement? It was uh, there. Were, I think that makes there me were, think of Bernie. I think there was a green party not not uh, environmental but the green party was a more moderate party got it. Got it. who a lot of iranians felt like wait i voted for the green guy and he didn't win and not only did he not win but they quickly put him under house arrest so the iranians were going this is listen this is why it's so complicated because the people of iran want to get rid of their government yes or they want more freedoms right and 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 then america is saying as you were saying a lot of Americans saying, well, we, we got to intervene somehow. Yeah. And I remember we were at the Just for Last Festival in Chicago. And I remember because I hosted a show there. You were on the show. John Mulaney was on the show. And I remember that I would be doing the show and then I would go home and watch the protests in the streets. And wow. I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? And a lot of Iranians in the West thought this is it. It's going to change. People, The, the government's going to fall and Iranians are going to get their freedom back. And as you said, I, I personally understood uh, Obama's stand there when he said, I don't want to say anything because the problem becomes it's such a crazy chess game yeah, what do you do? Where, because because what McCain do you do McCain at the time was criticizing Obama going, we need to support these protesters yeah. and get in there somehow. Yeah. And Obama was saying, well, if I say I support the protesters, then the government of Iran will quickly say, see, America saying they support you. Therefore, America is behind the protesters. Mm-hmm. Therefore, these protesters should be shot. And then you've lost all. all. It's a very hard game to play. Do you think he did the right thing? I personally, at that point, I'm very much this person who's like, listen, let's see if we can work it out diplomatically. And so to come back and see this Iran deal that happens, which we'll get to in a minute, I'm sure, as we go through the Mm -hmm. chronology, I thought the Iran nuclear deal was something that could have put us on the path to having, because we tried 40 years of conflict, butting heads. I said, let's try diplomacy for a little bit. And we got it in place, but then Trump quickly got rid of it. Mm -hmm. And so I think Obama's policy to go to the diplomacy, even though a lot of Iranians that I know that when I say this, they criticize me. They go, no, this Islamic regime doesn't understand diplomacy. They were going to take all the money that would have come in. Yeah, you can't negotiate with someone like that. You can't negotiate. We gave them billions of dollars. But I go, but I think think the strategy would have been to do the nuclear deal, get Iran into 
this the the world economy. Yeah. So that now you have Western companies moving into yep, yep. Iran and saying whatever Apple is there, Microsoft is there, whoever is there, and then if they start violating, but certain I think things, some people say, well, aren't you rewarding them for but, that? But but behavior? but 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 then we can say, look, you got a taste of the good stuff. Yeah. If you want us to stay, yeah, you better play ball. If you don't play ball, Apple's moving out. Microsoft. I know that there's costs and there's time. I just saw John Kerry speaking again about how he said when the nuclear deal was in. In, in effect, there, Iran wasn't launching missiles at Saudi oil fields. We well, weren't in this kind of a situation. The, the, okay, yeah, true. I mean, we were so prov- provocative about the way we did it, the way we pulled out of it. The, yeah. What happened was after after Israel started doing these things, we taking out the taking nuclear out the nuclear scientists. physicists. Um, the U.S. is like. Okay, this is a little insane. Let's just do this in a way where there's not going to be loss of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we deployed the most um, effective and extreme cyber attack ha- that had ever been done to the date, which is called Stuxnet. And basically, we gave somebody some flash drive, some like unknowing dude who worked in the nuclear facility there, who then walks into the secure zone after he got his Starbucks, right? And he plugs it into the system, and we release Stuxnet into their nuclear, um, their uranium processors and all of a sudden their processors for enriching uranium which is what makes the material that can be nuclear used for nuclear um, bombs they all started going offline they were just all of a sudden one after another they're going down and iran at first didn't know what happened and then over time it was called the olympic games it's you know there's now a book you can read about it etc we basically attacked their nuclear capacity without without any loss of life and the idea was to bring Iran to its knees, simultaneously impose – like Hillary Clinton went around the globe and got all this coalition of countries that are an unlikely bunch to agree to enact the harshest economic sanctions on Iran to date. Basically bleed them so that not only are there people feeling the pain, which causes political pressure, but some of the elites who love to globetrot and get on private jets and like eat at the Four Seasons in New York and go to St. Bart's and do their thing – all of a sudden, their bank accounts are frozen, too. And so that sucks for them. And they're actually pressured to do something. So we used all these techniques to bring Iran to its knees. Like nonviolent Yes. Pressure. And it took years and a lot of, like, cooperation, diplomacy effort. And to finally get to a place where John Kerry from the Obama administration, then Secretary of State, goes over there and says, we're going to put together a coalition of countries that include China and Russia and Germany and the UK and France. We're going to make a deal and it's going to say, Iran, we're going to lift the sanctions. You can build your economy. We can let other companies come in and start doing business. Um, We're going to actually unfreeze money that's been sitting overseas. Remember, we froze your accounts. Mm -hmm. And that's what Trump complains about all the time. We gave them $100 million to do all these attacks. That was basically saying this hold we have on your bank accounts is going to lift. And in return, you're going to do a thing, which is you can keep processing uranium, cooking it effectively, Mm -hmm. up to the level you can make nuclear power, but not nuclear bombs. And we're going to come in and inspect. And if we see that you're cooking it past that level where it can get to bomb making material, we're going back to all these bad things we did to you. But as long as you're good and you keep it where it is for just energy, we're going to let you grow your economy and develop. And we're going to keep it like this for 15 years. I think it was like something like that. Yeah. And the idea is and then we're going to figure out what to do next. Yeah. And that would have allowed Iran this space to develop its economy, possibly 
the West thought westernize, modernize, let all these companies come in, get its people to a place where the economy is functioning well and freeze their nuclear capacity and keep things at a stasis, like at, at, at a level where everybody can get along. But, you know, the Trump people, conservatives, people who are very concerned about Israel's stability and future, mm-hmm. what they always say, this sounds, you know, bad, but you never trust Iran. We never trust Iran. Mm. And in time, they will develop the nuclear bomb and you're containing their power. You're not limiting it because what happens after 15 years, they're going to race to a bomb. And if we give them all this time to mm. think about preparing that, the race to a bomb could happen in months and then they could it could be done. And so for conservatives and the very pro-Israel groups, they felt this deal was an absolute betrayal, um, sellout, that you're giving them $100 million to spend on what they want and let them develop bomb-making capacity Mm -hmm. that they can deploy in no time. So the current administration probably didn't like this going in, already had an axe to grind with that deal. right? Well, Trump hates everything with the name Obama on it, right? So he's trying to, like, undo everything. And what you were saying is, is first of all, Iran's stand on the nuclear stuff. Number one, the Iran, the administration, or the people, the, the, I'm the government, to figure the government, like, the administration, okay. the regime. Uh, the the supreme leader had said it's against Islam to have a nuclear weapon. We don't want a nuclear weapon. Is now, that true, as you said, I don't trust them. Okay, but that said, um, the other thing a lot of Iranians would argue in Iran, they would say, well, why is it that all these other countries are allowed to have nuclear weapons? Israel is allowed to have it. Pakistan is allowed to have it. Um, France, whoever else has it. Why aren't we allowed to have nuclear energy or nuclear weapons? Why? And, and thirdly, they were saying that this program was started under the I didn't the even Shah. know France had a nuclear weapon. Uh, they do, right? Doesn't France? Yeah. And so the um, – and then th- uh, uh, the the, the – development of the nuclear program had been started under the Shah. And so they're saying, we've already started this process. We want to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Now, as Jessica was saying, um, the, you know, as, as Iran became a threat and we wanted to put some sort of hold on them and we made the deal, we gave them this hundreds of millions or maybe billion dollars and there was this image. It was a horrible image. Yeah. There was an image of this crate of just cash landing in Iran and the Iranians. Now, you got to realize, in America, we've got hard Liners, we've got hawks who want to just attack Iran. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the people. They don't care whatever. Yeah. Let's just get rid of this, this, these, these mullahs. Yeah. And then we've got people that want diplomacy. Yeah. In Iran, they have hawks who say America is the great Satan. And then they've got moderates who go, we need to cooperate. Yeah. And it actually benefits a lot of Iranians, or, or people in power, I should say, the, the government, to go, look, it's always America's fault. Death of the Satan, death of the Satan. Yeah. So when this these crates of cash land in Iran rather than just quietly taking the cash, which was originally theirs. We were holding it, and there was an international court who had actually said that America needs to give this money back to Iran, and and Obama always says, look, we actually got a good deal. If we had given it back with the amount of interest we were supposed to give them back, Mm -hmm. it would have been even more billions of dollars. So we gave them less than we would have had to give back based on the court and the interest. However... If the Iranians hadn't taken those pictures and posted those, uh, then maybe Americans would have been like, oh, this deal was done. But because the pictures were posted, guys like Trump are going, look, we just gave them a crate of cash. Yeah. They're going to now it's fund, a bad deal. They're gonna bad fund deal. terrorism in the region as opposed to saying, hopefully they're going to take this money. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe fund terrorism in the region. But more importantly, look, we put in this deal that allows us to check 
their nuclear program, which was mm-hmm. the number one thing. Again, watching John Kerry talk about it, he goes, look, Iran still had a lot of stuff, human rights violations, yeah. um, their proxies, uh, committing acts of terrorism. There's a lot of stuff we had to go after. But he goes, at least we got that one thing. I saw Kerry speak somewhere where he said the good thing that came out of the diplomacy, he goes, right after they had made the deal or right around the time they were making the deal, Iran captures some sailors in Iranian waters. Amer- they capture American sailors in Iranian waters. Mm-hmm. John Kerry said, because of the diplomacy we've created through the Iran nuclear deal, I was able to call, I, John Kerry, was able to call his counterpart in Iran, this guy named Javad Zarif. <coughs> we need to get you some... As I die. <laughs> Day I think quill. The, the Israelis are taking me out. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a very slow <laughs> yeah, attack. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't have had the Starbucks. Um, but it, John Kerry was able to call his counterpart in Iran and say, look, you guys got those sailors. They, were, they came into your waters. It was a misunderstanding. And he goes, within 24 hours, our sailors were released without any further... Uh, misunderstanding. Today, if they captured 10 sailors, how would that we go? Would have would to contact, well, we would have to contact... Or hostages. Well, you know, That's again, what I'm predicting. Kareem Sajipur had an interesting point. He goes, what happens if... Because the way we now interact, we go to the Swiss embass- embassy. The Swiss embassy is now who is in between us and Iran. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to go to the Swiss ambassador. The Swiss ambassador would have to go to the Iranians. The Iranians would come back to the Swiss guy. The Swiss guy would come back to the Americans. And Kareem was saying, what happens if, as you were saying... With Iran, now that they've launched these missiles into Iraq, nobody got killed, and everyone in America is going, oh, thank God. Well, what happens if in August the Iranians capture uh, 10 sailors? If? Exactly. And they say, as we're leading into the elections, and they go, this is is a Karim Sajapur what if, and I'm just quoting him here, and they say to uh, Trump, they go, we will not let these guys go until all American soldiers are are out out of the Middle East. And we just sent troops over there. Yeah. Right? What happens? So let so let's get to what's going to happen, what might happen, what the predictions are. What do you say to someone who says, you know, I was on Twitter, obviously, you know, and, and Twitter is I, I it's the worst of the worst, the best of the best and just chaos in between. And I try to not look and I, I, I posted something uh, because I had been posting the Iran things. And, and so many people were responding like, yeah, fuck that guy was such an asshole. Thank God. Like, finally, Trump's a hero. Took him out. You know, no. What do you say to the people who are like, yeah, this guy was an asshole. He, you know, was terrible to the people. He had to go. What do you say to people who think this was a heroic move on Trump's part? And if if Obama did it, would there be a different reaction happen? Well, my analysis is as a strategic matter, he was an, an adversary of the U.S. If you don't believe in executions, then you're against it altogether. If you're going to execute, yeah, he's on the list. Mm-hmm. But the question is, was it worth it? And was it done properly? Right. And we are um, in and Was this- it legal? <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, when I was when I interviewed President Obama, I think it was in 2012, I asked him he had never been asked, what is the U.S.'s drone policy for executions Mm. and what are your rules? And he laid out five terms that were very specific and very considered um, that are really upsetting. You know, like nobody wants to hear this stuff. But he said it has to be a target that's authorized by our laws. It has to be, I wrote it down, it has to be a threat that is serious and not speculative, has to be a situation where we can't capture the individual. Other civilians have to be not hit by it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that we met all those conditions. And it has to be a brown guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the top things. So... The thing that's different about this is, like I was saying before, he was a member of Iran's official government, not just 
I don't want to say a random terrorist, but not a random terrorist. Right. And so in taking him out, we were challenging the um, authority of the government of Iran, which we've already established is enormously proud and um, antagonized by the West and known to exact retribution. Years ago, by accident, purportedly, our, one of our ships took down, accidentally shot down an Iranian commercial jet, killed 290 people. Iran does stock, talks about it. Every time they confront the U.S. to this day Mm. and still exact retribution for it and still says we're going to get 290 back for it. So taking out Soleimani is inviting enormous retribution. The thing that happened on the base where Iran didn't kill anybody, I believe it's theater. The true retribution is yet to come. In fact, the leader of Iran today said tomorrow will be a bad day. You know, so. And Jesse and Maz will have to go do Whitney's podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry. Um, they've threatened that there will be few. The leaders of Iran have threatened there will be future action against Americans and Western forces in the Middle East. Um, the big danger is that we don't know what their limits will be and how they'll strike. There is one wrinkle, which is because Iran accidentally shot down this Ukrainian airplane the same day in the fog of war. Donald Trump might be the luckiest president in our history. It's like unfucking believable. Can I say that? Yes, please. It's like unfucking believable that this would happen because the fact that Iran accidentally killed their own people on this plane has led to so much anger and unrest in their own country. They don't have the support to attack the U.S. in this moment. Had the this way- not happened, the Iranians might actually be supporting the regime just yeah. out of pride. So there was so in, in the, the number one thing there's two things that i would say to the killing of soleimani number one is like you were saying is a constitutional and what precedence does this set i was talking to my buddy he's an iranian american named tehran he's a comedian and he was saying and he was saying you know does this then allow china to take out the the second in command of france because they felt that he was a threat of some sort because the problem is in trying to say that this was an imminent threat. They really haven't shown that. They, haven't. they keep changing the story. They, they keep First it was an attack, then it's embassies. It was four embassies. Back it up. And the truth is, yes, Soleimani was probably up to some stuff, and he always is up to some stuff, mm-hmm. but the, but it wasn't imminent. The word imminent is very important here. So, number one, the precedence that it sets in terms of taking out leaders of other countries, it was not a terrorist organization it was someone Although we deemed it one in advance we deemed it one however end of the day world the rest of the world sees this as it's the guy who is second in you know yeah. in, their military, it, the, right. leads yeah. the military and the second thing the strategy of it as you said so here's the here's the question i again this reminds me of how i felt when when bush went into iraq and i go strategically speaking they were oh they're going to welcome us with flowers i go no i'm not a political scientist i could have told you you're getting rid of the one guy who's kind of keeping control. Mm-hmm. Saddam Hussein is a bad guy, yeah. but he's the one guy who's kind of keeping everything under control. You're going to get rid of him. Iranians are going to come in and take over, mm-hmm. just so you know. So in this case, I'm sitting there going, what's the strategy here? Because um, I've heard a lot of people uh, you know, point this out. When you were talking about those protests that happened in November that you were getting those tweets, people going – Hey, they've shut down the internet, and the, they were protesting astronomical gas prices. The gas prices were were raised, and right now Iran is this like it's it's just this this tinderbox. It's just sitting there. The Iranian people are so again, the economy's bad. They're fed up, and they want they can't their get freedoms. on Instagram. They can't get on Instagram. <laughs> they want their freedoms. The government is an oppressive government, and so 
in November, people started protesting against government, and their anger was against the Iranian government. Mm-hmm. We take out Soleimani, and quickly, at least for whatever that short period was, couple days, we were able to take the anger of the people that was towards the government, and now all of a sudden, the anger of the people is towards America because they're going. We don't like our government. But you still can't come in. But you can't do that. And also, by the way, even if I'm critical of my government right now, I can't go and say that because my government is saying you took out our number two Mm -hmm. and they're coming to get you. And you just said you're going to bomb our cultural sites. And you said the cultural sites. Which you just now you're just that's just that's not at all differentiating the people of Iran and the culture of Iran with the government of Iran. The government since walked it back. He says walked it back. Not like it's because he did it. Well, somebody said, listen, dum dum, you can't say this. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, it's actually a war crime if they were to do it. It's a war crime. But also you're you're losing the people that you say you're supposedly supporting. Our regime and our culture are different things yeah and then as jessica said luck for for trump when they take down tragically to take down this airplane and what did they think they were doing oh it's a fog of war situation i was on i was in touch with somebody who had been very senior at the pentagon and said to me as it happened this is obviously a surface to air missile from iran an accident somebody who doesn't work there now but he was saying what happens is you're on high alert they're waiting they've just attacked bases in iraq right they think the u.s is about to commit retribution they're waiting for incoming missiles from the u.s somebody's looking at a screen and they see some projectile moving and they hit it and they're not seeing that it's going up and away not down and why would planes be flying well, exactly that's and that's what the inc- right now the people are so angry at the even the supreme leader going you need to resign a lot of these students are saying that you need to resign because you exactly just killed that. a bunch of innocent people you should have grounded all your that's that's, that's like you know uh, bombing 101 keep your own stuff down just you they know, ground a, planes here when there's rain minute. i know yeah. it's, it's a 12 hour delay yeah guys we're not flying for 12 hours because you know the americans might be coming with some shit and then once that's done you then avoid, and by the way, the people who died were, a lot of them were Iranians living in Canada, these young people, there were a lot of like, there was there was kids on it's the plane, oh, there was a lot of just potential, and, and just, not that people that, you know, aren't aren't smart shouldn't die, but I'm just, uh, you should die, uh, but just I'm like saying. Just like heartbreaking, It's heartbreaking. And the politics of it are astonishing. Like that, it would happen at that moment, kind of. Handy, handcuffed the Iranian government. So now the response will have to come from these proxies, if you want to talk about that. So it feels like the, the people of Iran, you know, gas prices, uh, cutting off our Wi-Fi, then, you know, you attack, we're now not on America's side anymore. And now you guys shot down this plane. And so now we're back to being on America's And America you shoot down the plane and originally and you say, you originally go, yeah, it was, oh, it was technical error and I'm, come on. And it's, it was crazy because I'll tell you, like, talk about Twitter. Um, when I saw reliable sources coming out, because BBC had reported it, and 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 it said Iran shot down the plane, so <clears throat> I went and posted something along the lines of "This is tragic, and this is the results of war." Because you can you can really go back to the the actions of Iran, obviously being being stupid to not ground the planes. Secondly, Trump's actions on taking out Soleimani. You could say that that led to the fog of war and what happened. So I just said my heart goes out to the victims of this conflict. Yeah. And I posted that. And then, of course, I get a bunch of people coming at me going, oh, you're spreading rumors. Iran hasn't said that that was the case. This is just the West trying to uh, blame Iran. And two days later, Iran goes, yes, it was us, which angers the people even more, going, how could you for two days... Not take responsibility. People even said, the U.S. even admitted it right away when they accidentally shot down our plane back in the day. Right. 
And so it goes it, the weird parallel that we shot down one of their planes and then they shot down a plane. It's just you couldn't write it. It's 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 so unbelievable, which is why I need very factual, calm news, because it's so insane <laughs> that if you say it insane, my brain just shuts down. Uh, can I ask you, because I, I think I've for some reason become upset, like obsessed with what the Iranians think of all this, because I feel like we don't really hear their voices very much. And I was reading about how it's impossible to trust the footage that you see from them because you have no idea the context of it. And there was a couple of news stations that were playing these Death to America chants trying to position it as if that was all Iranians, you know, there were and they, people say you don't know when this video was taken. You cannot just you also don't know what kind of p- pressure people are under to yeah. say what they're saying. because yeah. The government's requiring it. there was a protest where they were walking across American flag and everyone was like, oh, yeah. You know, I think people were really spreading that. And, you know, I'm just how do we ascertain the public opinion in Iran? Is there any way to know? Well, I think the thing that that uh, a lot of Americans need to understand is that again, a lot of Iranians love America. Yeah. I mean, the people of America, and 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 you wouldn't always know that based on what people want to retweet and you wouldn't know share. that. And also, and also, a lot of Americans go, "Well, I'm living my life. What do I care?" Like people, when the people go, "We took out a terrorist. Who cares? Let's move on." Well, no. What what the repercussions are? The Iranians may retaliate down the line. Now somehow we get drawn into a war. Now America's back in a war. Do we have an appetite for war? I think we have about there are about 80,000 Americans in the Middle East right now in one place or another on bases, on battleships, trying to keep the Persian. I mean, the other piece of this is Iran has been making skirmishes in the Persian Gulf. That is the main waterway through which oil moves. Mm. So if this becomes worse, Mm Oil price, just like bottom line, your gas is going to cost a lot more. And a lot of people say they remind you that Trump came into power saying that uh, I'm against wars. I want to get us out of there. I want to get us out of there. I believe there's more troops now in the Middle East than there were when Trump first came into power. And sometimes the question becomes, what if you get painted into a corner and you have to do something? One of the reasons they say that Trump took action now was because he hadn't taken action on a few other uh, uh, provocations that Iran. Or he needed a distraction from impeachment. Or he needed a distraction from impeachment. Or he was trying to please some senators that are hawkish. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that seem to come out. Um, Can uh, I uh, ask you? This is not me and my tinfoil hat. It's just something I saw on Twitter. Where where does Saudi Arabia fall into all this? Saudi Arabia relationship with Saudi Arabia wants to do whatever it can to crush Iran. This, I mean, this was a great day for Saudi Arabia when they took out Soleimani. Um, Iran recently attacked Saudi Aramco, which is Saudi Arabia's oil company. I mean, Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia lives on its oil. Mm -hmm. It's more than trillion dollar valued. Biggest company was bombed indirectly by Iran. And and again, this is what people need to understand is that these countries in the region don't like people go, oh, they hate the Jews. No, they hate each other. Yeah. Sunnis and Shiites don't get along. And the thing with Saudi Arabia that recently happened was because Saudi Arabia, I think when Trump came into power, a lot of the so the Saudis, the Emiratis, um, the uh, uh, not the Qatar, the Qataris are now uh, no, sh- the Saudis. The the, the people say Why do some people say Qatar? I say you can Qatar. say it anyway. Honestly, Qatar. I've been down that road. Yeah. I've been told Qatar, Qatar. I'm not a big Qatar. fan of Qatar. It, it, it reminds me of Iran. Qatar, Qatar. <laughs> it says Qatar. 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 They say okay. Qatar. But my sure. but my See point in is the comments. But the but the point is the Saudis uh, and the and the Emiratis and I, I'm forgetting the third. What's the third part what of that coalition? Saying? The the who what GCC countries turning against uh, Qatar? It was Saudis, Emiratis, um, not the Kuwaitis, whatever it was. There's the Sunni. 
the Sunni uh, Arabs there mm-hmm. isolated are are, ha- are have a conflict with Iran. And what happened was, as you said, when Trump came into power, a lot of them thought, "Oh, this is great. Trump is going to get rid of." Iran, or you know, weaken Iran somehow. As a matter of fact, Saudi and the Israelis were talking to each other. BB, BB, and and MBS were suddenly. You would think, oh, they're supposed to be arch nemesis, yeah. but no, they were they were like because they, the, you know, my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So they were both against Iran. Ooh. But then what happened was when Iran bombed the Saudi oil fields and America didn't do anything Saudi Arabia started going wait a minute maybe what year was Trump that? this was just, just this last oh. year so then so then the, then the Saudis started saying maybe Trump does not have the stomach to, to go to war and overthrow Iranians so the Saudis were just starting to open up diplomacy with the Iranians and as a matter of fact oh. the Emiratis the Saudis and the Iranians are fighting each other in Yemen and the Emiratis had sent some soldiers, but then recently the Emiratis, UAE, Dubai, those guys, they were like, uh, you know what, this this shit ain't working out. We're getting out. There's one thing to keep in mind that makes it super complicated, and one of the reasons— Because it's not already. I know. <laughs> one of the reasons maybe Trump didn't take action against Iran after they bombed the Saudi oil fields is Iran is a very close ally of Russia. Mm. So Putin is not happy about what— about taking out Soleimani. But Trump and Putin are... So one would antagonize Putin if one takes out Soleimani. So that was really a a surprising move in that regard as well from Trump. But also isn't... Maybe you can shed light on this. Isn't... it, doesn't this play into Putin's hands because now it makes Iran turn to, to Russia even more? Yeah. Like Putin's going, I'm your guy. If you don't want to play the chess guys. game, it just creates more chaos and destabilizes the region. And that's Putin's play, which is he just wants as much instability. And if Iran's running into their arms and they're going to start, as one might expect, proxy attacks and antagonizing the entire region, that's great, both for um, Putin's interests and for their oil exports. Because Because the Russians and the Iranians were working together in Syria to help Bashar al-Assad. So we can make you a map and tell you who's where with little stick figures. I'm just like nodding. I do. Here's what I can contribute to this conversation. I had movers here this past weekend and they were Russian. And I was asking them all these questions about Putin because I'm just obsessed with him. And, uh, and I was like, so what's the deal with Putin? Like, do I'm always curious what information we're getting and not getting. And, you know, because I think we all have this idea that all Russians like are obsessed with Putin. He's like, no, some of us don't like it's like Trump. But we some like some don't. Right. And I was like, so what's the deal with Putin? He goes, most Russians think that he's an actor. Because he stayed so young for so long. Oh, my God. Played by and, Robert Duvall. And who's behind him? The he, oligarchs? Yeah. And that it's an actor that is looks like him and got a bunch of surgery to look Hilarious. like him. But that it's not really... Oh <laughs> no. My, that's mind-bending. They were like, because he's been 45. He does have a like, lot of Botox. Yeah. For it, like yes. 30, Nothing like, we all just th- assume he's an actor. And it blew my mind. <laughs> it's amazing. like Dave. Remember the movie yeah. Dave? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. and, and also, but that did happen in Poland. Apparently, there was a... Um, Whatever their government is, I don't know. Had a twin brother, oh, and they stepped put, in, right? I mean, and in Ukraine now, you have an actor who's actually president. So what is? Who knows? Maybe the whole. And we had an joke. actor be our governor. I mean, there's just it's becoming like, it's like the the, Wayans, the Wayans brothers. I mean, <laughs> who's running <laughs> the new in living color? So true, I don't know. Bro. Where's but, the rock? We really need him to run. But um, it's funny you ask that question of the Russians because whenever I can, I ask people. And I had I was talking to this one guy who's a professor on Russia, and I said, "How do the Russians feel about hacking?" the election and yeah. he goes they're proud of it because they're like we got America you know yeah. we, are, we are big strong you're big stupid <laughs> you know it's just it's it's so I the main thing I want to uh 
ask now, and if you can't necessarily answer this, because I know you're a real journalist, um, what should we expect? What do you predict? I have friends that are like, we shouldn't fly. We got to take all our cash out. We got to put uh, it under our mattress. A lot of my friends are actors. They're very dramatic. Uh, and we got to, you know, make one sure. One of them's playing Putin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, <laughs> tested Roll for the, the lifetime. Didn't yeah. get it. Yeah. So how scarce should we be? You know, I think this, there's just this general ang- generalized anxiety. A lot of people are, you know, is it histrionic to say we're in World War Three? We're at war. Like, I just need to know how to feel and how scared to be. I mean, my personal assessment is if there's going we're at a place of such global instability that all it takes is one little thing to go off, one match to be lit that can cascade into a war. We did a great job of backing off from it in this past moment, but I don't think this is the end of the Iranian response. I think that they know Donald Trump is fixated on the Iranian hostage crisis, which was when a bunch of Americans were held captive by Iran, and he saw that Jimmy Carter seemed helpless in taking action. And you know, has always obsessed, even in private life, he would talk about the powerlessness, the weakness of Jimmy Carter and how Ronald Reagan came in and did something. If you want to get back at Donald Trump, one way to do that is to take a couple Americans hostage somewhere. um, So that's a thing. And that's just specific to Trump. I mean, it was a bad thing in general and a major point in history. But he you know how he fixates on certain moments. This Uh is one of his things. Yeah, he Uh obsesses over. And so um, now some of my friends who are more, you know, work in the national security space to say that if Americans were to be taken hostage, it would so trip Trump that he would just go so over the top in response that Iran might not do that because maybe Tehran wouldn't really survive that so well. So I don't know what they'll do. Like um, things that are on the table and they've even said are, you know, attacks on U.S. and allied forces or EU forces in mm-hmm. the region. Um, what you proposed, which is what if they do something to say all troops out? Because they said they're going to make action to push all of the U.S. troops out of the region. Um, the other things they can do are more skirmishes in the Persian Gulf to drive up gas prices. Mm. Um, my guess is any of this would happen much closer to the election when it would Ooh. have more of an impact and the U.S. would have less time to respond. We don't know how that would play politically because... You know, you could imagine Trump doing something to show force and act tough. And there is this rally around the leader effect ahead of an election when our leader does something and, you know, shows military force. Mm -hmm. Often that increases their poll numbers. Um, I'll add that on the politics, the Senate and the House has passed a measure to limit Donald Trump's war making ability without going to Congress first. And in response to this, in response, it just happened. And the. U.S. Senate, Democrats and Republicans in the U.S. Senate say they have the votes to do the same, which is unusual in this moment, but um, that they would have 51 votes for Republicans are signed on to pass something that says, we're not saying you can't do it, but if you're going to do something, come to us first because mm-hmm. the Constitution says you have to. Yeah, yeah I have friends who, um, you know, like I said, a lot of a lot of Iranians actually like Trump because of what he did. They they go, that was good that he took out Soleimani and he's going to stand up to this regime and somehow get rid of them. And it's funny. So a lot of them go, uh, they go, you know, well, he's low, lower taxes. I go, yeah. he's heightened anxiety. <laughs> my, my level of anxiety. Is, Sorry. Is, I'm telling you, I have not, like this past week, 2020 feels like it's been a, a t- year. 10 years. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have not been on eggshells like this for so long, especially as a stand-up comedian. I'm not an accountant. Yeah. If I were an accountant, I'd be like, I'm going to work. I'm upset. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. As a stand-up comedian, I'm like, how do I become funny and yeah. tell jokes when I'm Iranian-American? Yeah. These two countries are going to go to war. Yeah. And there's so many mixed emotions. Of course, I want the people of Iran yeah. to have their freedoms. Of course, I would love for this regime to somehow disappear and have yeah. uh, a, a democratic government yeah. come into Iran. Yeah. But, but I know that that's going to be a lot of bloodshed unless if we need an off-ramp. And right. my hope is some off-ramps start showing themselves. And, and right now it hasn't. And pro- possibly it could be other countries like Germany and France and other countries getting in the middle and going right, – right now they're currently trying to get Iran back into the nuclear deal. Iran said Iran, – when America pulled out of the nuclear deal, Iran stayed in it. But recently because of the killing of Soleimani, they said mm-hmm. we're out. Yeah. And now – the Europeans are saying, come back in. But they're saying, for what? What do we have to come back in for? Yeah. But I'm hoping that there's some off-ramp. There's some. That's why I really wish we would have given this nuclear deal. Give it like three years, four years. See how it goes. And again, I understand the argument that a lot of my Iranian-American friends make. They go, you can't negotiate with these mullahs. I go, well, yeah, let's see I mean, if that's the... that's what's so tricky about it is you're like, how do you find a common ground with someone whose values are so wildly well, you different? Well, hope, you hope that the people of Iran, you see, there's little things that were happening. Little, just little things. Like, for the longest time, women weren't allowed into soccer stadiums. Well, just last year, I think. I would love that. Well, <laughs> yeah. That'd be my dream. Sorry, can't, again. can't go with you to that yeah. soccer match. But just last year, I think they were starting to allow them. And there's been a whole movement movement to like you know women are mandatory mandatory it's mandatory for women to cover their hair in iran the iranian women are so fashionable that the way they do it there's always hair coming out but there's been a movement to take off the the hijab and say it should be my choice so i i mean and and you know i think that people might expect me to chime in on this i have stopped uh doing that because actually when i went to dubai uh this was what 12 years ago or something you know and i went up there with these young girls that you know had it on at a mall and you know i walked up to them you know american arrogant you know and i was like I mean, why would you, you know, because some women had it, some didn't. It was Dubai. And I was like, why would you choose this? Like, are you okay? Like, do you need help? And they were like, no, we we choose this. Literally, we choose this. And then she lectured me on how American women are oppressed because of the plastic surgery and the eating disorders. And, you know, interesting point of view. Hard to argue. And like, we're valued on our, you know, personalities and opinions and not our appearance. And and I just got schooled. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to weigh in on that anymore. Yeah, you're right, and it's and and so I. But the foundation is choice, and you're saying increasingly foundation women are is having choice. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, foundation is choice, and it's also hopefully the change coming from within. Now, again, these guys, they, you know, quoting Karim Sajidpour again, he was saying how what you said early on, the Shahs. There's a, another book. that's a good book. is called uh, All the Shahs Men. Mm-hmm. The Shahs Men book. were all West, you know, generals. And, and, and people who's, who had either been Western educated or their kids were studying in the West. So when the revolution happens, these guys all have homes in England and in France and in America and then get up and flee. You know, Karim Sajapur was pointing out how this re- current regime, although they've sent their kids to different places in the world using their money that they've been embezzling, that's one of the other things. This mm. government has embezzled a lot of money and is just, you know, uh, living large while their people are starving. Yeah, um, that pisses me off. It's horrible. But but the pe- but they are they they themselves, like Khamenei, the supreme leader, doesn't have a place to go. 
So he's not going to flee. Is so, this, I think I heard you talking about it. Is this called the dictator's dilemma? The dictator's dilemma. That's what he was saying. Will the you di- explain what that is? Well, I asked, I asked Kareem, I go, why doesn't, I go, the guy's 80 years old. I go, so why doesn't he look current at this Current supreme moment, leader now. Current supreme leader now is 80 years old. Why doesn't he look at the situation and go, look, my people are angry at me because of the downing of the plane. I'm going to find an excuse. Maybe my health is getting worse. I'm 80. I'm going to go to a sandals. But you could go to Africa <laughs> like Idi Amin did or to Russia. Go to Africa. No, just, go hang just, out with Snowden in Russia. Just just get out. Just get out. And and Kareem said that. The, 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 go on the, Rogan. The, go on Rogan. <laughs> exactly. Great book. Come Explain on. Good for stuff. you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and he said the dictator's dilemma is that when they get out of power, then they are going to be prosecuted. And held accountable because they did international war crimes. Because of they no, did because, crimes because of what they did in their own country. I mean, that's but what happened is, with uh, um, our buddy in Egypt, yeah, uh, Hosni Mubarak. And this is one of the reasons Iran wants a bomb. Because if you look at what's happened to the countries that gave up their bomb or gave up their weapons, ah. like Muammar Gaddafi, he gave us his weapons, right? And then we killed him in a um, water tunnel with a drone. You know, and so after he surrendered, he surrendered them and then we killed him. So Kim Jong Un, who has these weapons, is like, uh uh-uh, uh, I ain't giving them to yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that one of sense. the reasons Iran is like, we want our weapons. We're not going to cut a deal that says we won't have them because the dictate that's part of the yeah. dilemma. Have you talked to any of your friends that are in Iran now? I have some distant relatives in Iran. I get hit up all the time on Instagram, the same way you were talking about. Like, I get a ton of people sending me videos of mm. But you don't stuff. know if it's real. Yeah. I don't you know. If, it's hard to verify. I don't know if it's real. We're not um, real journalists. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> even as a journalist, you need to talk to someone on the ground. Yeah. yeah. No, but even We're as like, like, you know how it like, is. Yeah, I'll just you, yeah. You, okay. Listen, I <laughs> That post, was my delight. I, 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 I know. I don't. I didn't realize till afterwards. I was just like, I don't even know if this is real. I mean, so, you and know. People but the president you. doesn't seem to mind. So yeah. if the president doesn't mind. I have the same values yeah. as the president. Yeah. Great. There's one other. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I um, a lot of the videos I actually didn't post. I mean, some of the ones, and I think part of the reason I'm, you know, my heart, you know, breaks for this situation. I mean, it should for anyone. But I saw some videos that I didn't post that were so brutal and incomprehensible of what was going on in terms it's of horrible protests. it's a brutal regime i mean the, what they do is they, there's no human rights and so it is very brutal and and there are a lot of people that that are suffering under this regime and that's why it becomes so sensitive because whatever you post you're going to get someone from some side coming. that's right first of all how did you know this video is real why are you oh you're oh, oh, you oh by point by by posting this you're making it so that the hawks will win in America yeah. and then attack Iran. Yeah. And I'm going, no, that's not what I want. I'm just trying to say that these... Can't I criticize the leaders of Iran and the leaders of America at the same time? Yeah. And so they can't can they can't really protest. That's just illegal in general. And what is the punishment if you do? No, no, they protest and the protests get bigger and bigger and then they the regime has been sending out their uh, uh, people from from this called the Basij, which are these... The Basij are people who were trained to keep the Islamic uh, um, revolution alive. So back then, Khomeini, one thing he did that was smart for him, mm-hmm. he said, you know, as he didn't re- necessarily trust the, the military. He said, we need to have our own military to help. It, again, the relig- imagine if the religious right goes, we're going to get a bunch of um, um, brainwa- brainwash a bunch of people and say, yeah. you're with the regime, yeah. you're with the religious right, and we're going to also pay you money, and we're going to make sure you're taken care of. Right. And anytime protests happen, we want you to get your batons and get your guns, get on the back of these scooters, go to the protests, and just start beating people. Jesus. They protest, they crack down, they protest, they crack down, and this one time they started actually killing people. So it's like, it's a tinderbox too. It's really a tinderbox. There's one weird 
twist that could happen. There's no evidence it's going to, but I feel like with Trump, anything's possible. He needs a dramatic moment. He needs another summit. Summits with North Korea aren't that exciting anymore because we've seen that show before. So one could imagine him doing a 180 and saying, sit down with me. Let's just have a talk. Let's do diplomacy. I don't think they're there. I don't think he'll do it. But it's so crazy right now. I feel like anything. Else. Also, I don't think the Iranians will do it. They don't like him. They don't trust him. Right. Unless if the the Americans say all these preconditions are off the table. That's what. So, so but they could play that game. Yeah. I mean, that could be where we're headed. Well, where that, you must do this. We'll do give you that. Blah blah. Well, that's the problem with the administration because Mike Pompeo goes goes in front of the cameras and goes, "Oh, we're willing to talk to Iran. We're totally Iran doesn't want to talk to us. Mm-hmm. They just need to A B C D E F G." And Iran's like, "Wait a minute. You're saying we got to get rid of our whatever our you know nuclear, uh, nuclear stuff. We got." to stop you know get rid of our uh, funding of these proxies we got, they basically made it so that it's impossible for iran to come to the table and then they sell it as mm-hmm. we're trying to talk they don't want to talk mm-hmm. you know or in this case with the soleimani thing it was imminent yeah. so we had to do it well where's the imminent thing like there was uh, i was hearing some reporting saying that you know when trump said it was that they were going to hit four embassies Somebody was saying that the reporting showed that there was none of those embassies had been there was no warnings to any embassy staff that something's coming down. But usually when there's something in the head of the Defense Department said he wasn't aware of it, but he believes Trump like it's. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's tricky because, you know, I was talking to someone who um, uh, used to be in the FBI in D.C. who said like, yeah, but you also can't give people a heads up when you're doing something like this, you know? Right, but you do need to tell your embassy staff that, yeah. hey, um, some shit's coming down the pipeline, mm-hmm. and maybe minutes before, yeah. an hour before, yeah. get out of the embassy, yeah. there's an attack coming, and we're getting the guy. Matter of fact, uh, again, the, I read something about the whole, the whole, um, the way the whole Soleimani thing went down, I guess he was he was they, they were airport? waiting for him. Yeah, and he was and he was late. He was flying into Iraq, and he was late to his plane. And then the you know the the people that that were getting ready to attack were getting a little worried. Going, oh, is he is he not going to come? Is he going to come? And he was notorious for waiting for whatever plane he's boarding to get there last minute, sit in the front, land, get out. And get going. And by the way, they killed another guy who was an Iraqi militia leader. And the um, he ran the splinter groups in Iraq that are attacking U.S. forces in Iraq. By so accident? those guys haven't no, no. taken revenge for their well, guy yet. We so we got a twofer. Two of America's adversaries were taken out in the same shot. Got a hot we, deal? Yeah, but we didn't know if he was going to get picked up by that dude or by some, like, family and civilians. And so they were kind of on, if you ever watched Homeland, hot alert, like the person deciding to make the call based on who in that picture is actually getting out of the car to greet him. And we were also trying to kill another Iranian leader at the same time. I forget where he yeah, was. But we was he in Yemen or something? Yeah, he wasn't in Iran. I think it might have been Yemen. Yeah, there's another guy that we were we were going to take out as well. In the same day? Same yeah. day. They were going to, ba-bam. Missed? We missed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did, did we the shoot? Guy I don't know, even know They if we know shot. that is my guess. They I know. think so. If you see a missile flying over your head, like, <laughs> like whoa, that plane got close. Wait, no, okay. I don't know if they shot at him or not. So while taking out Soleimani, we also took out an important ass person in Iraq. Yeah. And they haven't even... An important guy that was part of one of the proxies in Iraq. So w- just talking about war for a second, it's such a weird thing to say. War is such a vague term, and it makes it makes me envision people like on a field with, right. you know what I mean? 19, <laughs> the movie yeah. 1917. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. totally. War is different now. It can right. be cyber. It can be 
you know, germ. It can be so many things. And we call it, sometimes you hear people say there's kinetic action. So there's kinetic action right now in Ukraine between Ukrainian troops and Russian troops. That's war. They're like in a hot war. We just like to not call it that because war sounds big. But it's it's like this guy versus this guy attacking each other to the death to win. Isn't that war? I don't and, know, and also war, no matter how mutiny. you... Even, even this beautiful, clean war that we've been able to create with our drones and no Americans are going to get killed, et cetera, et cetera. The repercussions of it... I mean, you could make the argument that ISIS came out of the Iraq war. Wow. For sure. Right? So, similarly speaking, if we were to go... Because one of the things... One of the other ideas that I've heard before is that when Saddam was in conflict with Iran, Iran is... Like you said, 80 million people, but there's many different factions. There's in the north, they're, they're Turkish, Azaris. There's the Kurds. There's uh, Arab-based Iranians. So there's groups within Iran that don't get along with each other as well. I mean, they live yeah. under Iran, but they don't yeah. get along. So one of the ideas was to foment a, a civil war in Iran between five factions and let them just go at it. Right, 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 right. And so what happens if a civil war happens in Iran? Well, what'll happen is it'll be similar to what's happened in Syria. You're going to get a lot of refugees. You're going to get a lot of bloodshed. Yeah. You're going to get people joining, hopefully, possibly, uh, uh, um, um, you know, terrorist attacks. Mm-hmm. So war is not clean in any way. Yeah. I mean, there's no, war is just a bad thing. If we can af- avoid war, yeah, we're in a good place. Again, to me, that goes back to me saying, like, I wish we would have given diplomacy a chance, and I hope there's a diplomatic solution out of this. I just feel like that we haven't seen a new kind of war yet. Do you know what I mean? With the I think, technology we have available. I think we're seeing it unfold, yeah. and what could come next is something we can't imagine yet. I mean, We're just in uncharted territory. Yeah. I mean, Iran, one of the things they have is our cyber bombs which aren't actual bombs, but planted in our infrastructure. They took a dam offline in New York previously. And so... What does that mean? This dam is... Like, water? It means, means like, one day your lights work, and then the next day L.A. has no power. Yeah, cyber attacks. (sighs) That makes me anxious as shit. I know, I feel bad saying it, because it's like all... My lights aren't going to work that make me look young? Are you insane? (laughs) The pot is going to be down? (laughs) I mean, that's so we just have no idea what to expect. The How panicked should we be? I just think you should be. I mean, listen, that, hopefully, again, <laughs> you, you try to live your life in, a, in, in, you know, worrying about the normal things that you need to worry about. Um, but but you just don't know. I mean, the, the Soleimani thing, I, I didn't see it coming. Did you see it coming? I mean, I don't think Trump's own administration saw it coming, most of them. Yeah. So, so it's crazy. What was your reaction? I mean, OMG, WTF, you guys. I mean, like, that's when you're just in, did this really happen? Is this a thing? Like, are we, do what? I, I, I think that we, again, I don't want people to be, I don't think people should be living their lives saying like, oh, I'm going to get hijacked or kidnapped or whatever, unless you put yourself in some weird situation. But that said, we don't know what's coming down, down the pipeline. And I do hope, I got, I got, I got a little hopeful when Iran retaliated the way they did. Um, but I know that in the back of their minds, they're like, we're coming again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the tragedy of this flight was just beyond belief. I mean, it's just the, the fact that that airplane went down. But had that been an American aircraft, it would have gone down also. 
Well, if it were an American aircraft, if, if like, that I were don't think Tehran would be standing if that were an American yeah, aircraft. I mean, but right now it'd be like. But what did they think it was? Well, listen, they got a shooter. Reg- no, but they didn't think it was an American passenger plane. They thought it was the Americans retaliating. Right. In which case they but have to But not with American that. soldiers on it. They thought it was a missile. Got Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. But even if American soldiers were on it, if you're coming at me, I'm going to, I mean, listen. But yes. they were ready to. Go we for gotta, American soldiers that were coming. We got to do not, what we got to do. We're not it's kidding a, around. Itchy trigger finger is what happened. Oh the other God. thing that just, this isn't better, but, you know, for people who are listening in the U.S., what Iran has been clear about is that if they're going to do a bloody attack, it will be on troops in the Middle East. Ugh. So it doesn't sound like they're coming domestically is the most likely outcome. But that's what you would want people to think if that you were. True. Listen, you're right. I still want you to feel okay if you go to a Persian restaurant. <laughs> it's going to be my- <laughs> the food is amazing. We have great food. Our food amazing. is really Westwood good. Yes. Boulevard. Westwood amazing. Boulevard. There's Daria. There's Shamshiri. <laughs> there's um, in, in Glendale. Have you been to Rafi's place no. in Glendale? Delicious. <laughs> I mean, get some water. Have some peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> Never a bad idea. Yeah. Follow Jessica Yellen on her Instagram, Twitter. Am I missing anything? YouTube. That's well, good. YouTube. Oh, great. Uh, Maz. I'm at Maz Jobrani, Twitter, Instagram. I've got my podcast called Back to School Where with Maz Jobrani. Where you really do lay this stuff out. You have experts come on, scholars come on. Yeah, it's a, it's, we try to be funny. We try to learn. And uh, it's free. It's free. So Amazing. people should watch it. And also on, LOL. Uh, yes. <laughs> and also I'm on tour. So if people are in any Good. cities, I'm going all over the place. I'll be in D.C. I'll be in um, Atlanta. Tra- Go to the Maz- travel band tour. Travel band tour. <laughs> Go to mazjobrani.com. You can catch me in a holding cell <laughs> in your city. <laughs> Any questions that y'all have uh, that I missed? I'm sure I missed a lot of really smart questions. I wrote down a bunch of things. I tried really hard to get to everything. And um, I certainly feel like I can go to a dinner and not sound completely stupid. Um, and uh, follow everybody. Is there anything I'm missing? Anyone? First bonus episode. I feel smarter and slightly scareder. This is great. Thank you. (laughs) Jessica Yellen, hashtag news not noise. I'm stealing her brand. Yay. (laughs) 